Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 this morning. If you're visiting us for the very first time today, I want to extend a personal welcome to you. My name is Nathan, and I hope you do sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning today. You've come to a Bible teaching church, and so, that, so that means every single Sunday and Wednesday night during the school year and whenever we gather together, as you can see in our small groups and Barnabas groups, we always open the Bible, but you might not have known that when you came today, and so you probably have your smartphone with you, so you could take out your smartphone, type into Google, 1 John 2, and really the way that that would work in Google is the number one, the name John, and the number two, <laughs> and that will take you to a link. Click the link, and you can follow along with what we are reading this morning. So welcome to, to Grace, whether today's your first day or your 501st day here at Grace. First John chapter 2. The title for today is The Stages of Fellowship with God. The Stages of Fellowship with God. You remember the theme of First John is Christians are to be in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and then with other Christians, but not with the world. Christians are to be in fellowship with God and Jesus and other Christians, but not with people who aren't Christians. And so today is the stages a fellowship with God. I am the parent of teenagers, and so that means I haven't experienced all of the stages of parenting yet. I hear from others that the best stage of parenting is grandparenting, and I haven't experienced that yet. But as a way to encourage any of the, the parents who are younger than I, I always try to tell them that every stage of parenting is great. Every stage with the kids as they grow up Every stage is great because there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, just you waiters out there. Whenever a just you waiter sees a pregnant woman, boom, just the, their just you waiting, it's just like kicks in. And as soon as a just you waiter sees a pregnant woman, they say, oh, enjoy it now. Just you wait. As soon as you have that child, you're never going to sleep again. My child didn't sleep for four years straight. I'm a zombie right now. Just you wait. And the just you waiters, it just, it just keeps going. Once you have your child and their infant, they say, oh, just you wait. Enjoy it now because as soon as they start moving around, as soon as they start walking, you're never going to sit down. Just you wait. Enjoy it now. As soon as they start walking around, they say, oh, enjoy it now. Just you wait because as soon as they hit puberty, they're going to, puberty? They're 18 months old. Well, you know, puberty comes earlier these days, so just you wait. Enjoy it now. They hit elementary school, oh, just you wait until they hit high school, just you wait till they hit teenagerism because then it's worse then. And then once they hit to 13 and 14, they say, oh, just you wait, just you wait till they start driving because then your insurance rates are going to skyrocket, they're going to quadruple. Now, I'm in that stage right now. Bad news is that part's true. <laughs> it's expensive. Just you wait. And so I always try not to be a just you waiter. I always try to be encouraging to parents to say every single stage is great. Now, of course, every parent, any of you who are parents, you know that there's probably a stage that you have liked better than other stages. There's some that are better than others. See, there's one right there. Okay? And so some, there's some people I know who love the infant stage. Who are the infant stage lovers? All right. Okay. The infant stage lovers, they're the kind of people who, if they had it their way, they would just have babies their entire life. They would just, once the child gets to the point of not needing diapers anymore, they trade that one in, and another one, diapers, and then just rinse and repeat. Now, for me, that would be insane, because that was the hardest 
time of parenting for me and for Tanya, it was the hardest time in our marriage was that infant stage. For me, my A game is, you know, once they turn into a human being, you know, once they go from that little, you know, bubble of goo into a real human being, then that's my, that's my A game. And so every stage, though, is great. If there was a subtitle for today, that would be the subtitle. Every stage is great. The stage is the fellowship with God, but every stage is great. Every stage is great. Now, when it comes to stages of growth for anything, whether it's a human or not, there is growth. There are stages of growth. Things alive, they grow. That's what they do. A little seed, you plant it in the ground, and it grows to a giant weed in my front yard. That's how it works. I don't know why that happens, but it happens. You buy a little puppy, and it turns into a horse in your living room. That, things that are alive, they grow. That little infant gooey thing that is leaking all over that you have and you love so much, it will grow up. And that one, they will drive a car, and they will fall in love, and they will be humbled by life, and they will finally realize that they are not the center of the universe. Stages of growth. If there's no growth there's no life. And that is the point for today, and that is the same for Christians as well. That as a Christian grows, and Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are alive in Christ, and since we are alive in Christ, that means we grow and develop with our Lord. So I've mentioned these stages of fellowship with God, stages of growth in Him. You might be wondering what they are. So let's read 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, where we ended last week at verse 11, we pick it up in verse 12 and see if you can notice the stages of spiritual growth here. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Well, there they are. They are the stages of fellowship with God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to handle this in two stages. <laughs> See what I did there? Right. We're going to handle this in two stages. What this means and maybe almost as important, what this doesn't mean. So let's start off with what this means. Let's go back to verse 12, and we can move through this. Go back to verse 12, and it says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. So that word little children there, that's a Greek word that is translated this. It just means born ones the offspring of someone. This is not referring to age. This is not referring to spiritual depth. This is not referring to someone who is younger than someone else. This is simply someone who is a born one. And so in this case, in this Greek word, everyone in here is a born one. We are all offspring of someone. We are all, in this Greek word, we are all little ones. We are all uh, physically and literally little at one point in time, but we are all offspring. 
as you know, in the New Testament, it is common that believers, that Christians, are called the children of God, the offspring of God. So John is referring to everyone or anyone, all of the people who are genuine offspring of God. They are adopted into God's family. They are children of God, God regardless of their spiritual stage, regardless of their spiritual age, regardless of their uh, spiritual development or physical development. He's just referring to all of the believers here. And he concludes this verse with a reminder it says because you have been for, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake this is a reminder that God is the one who has forgiven their sins it wasn't because of how great they were but it was for his name's sake that this occurred now this is a wonderful verse this is a reassuring verse but you might not pick up the reassuringness in this because we kind of break these things down and we cover little short things every single week and we miss the flow. We miss the context. We miss what, is, what has been happening and why this would be such a reassuring verse. Now, over the last several weeks, we have gone through a litany of this is a Christian, but that's not. A litany of this is what a believer is, and this is not what a believer is. Remember all the way back, Christians don't sin. But that's not the only determining factor of if someone is a Christian or not. It is also then Christians confess their sins. When a person sins, it's what happens when they sin that kind of determines if they are a Christian or not. If the person dismisses it, makes excuses for it, say, well, that's not as bad as everybody else, that's not a big deal, I've seen bigger ones, instead of confessing their sin, well, that person might not even be a believer. But a believer, they confess their sin, they're spiritually humble, they know that they should not have done that thing. But it's not just a Christian shouldn't sin, and, and Christians confess their sin. It's also Christians have an advocate with God in the heavenly courtroom. And then in chapter 2, we started with that Christians, they obey God's commands. Even if they obey God's commands, even if they don't agree, they obey God's commands even if it isn't easy, they obey God's commands even if it's if they're unsure about what that will mean for them and it could hurt more than help them, the Christians obey God's commands. And last week was Christians, they love other Christians. Christians love other believers, even if there's no other real reason to like them, they have a supernatural love for other believers because we are all adopted into God's family and now we are all brothers and sisters. And so we've had this litany of this is what a Christian is, and this is what a Christian isn't. And so now we get to this reassuring verse that's right here. And John is saying, and I know that you're a Christian. He says, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. He says, I know you're a believer. You know that you're a believer. So this isn't about, is, am I a Christian or not anymore? He knows they're believers. This, this isn't about, are they going to heaven or not? They are. This isn't, are they saved or not? They are. The question here is, what stage of spiritual growth are they in? And every stage is great. That's a subtitle. Every stage is great. Now, let's look at these stages of spiritual development. Skip down and look at verse 13, the very end sentence of verse 13. The last sentence of verse 13, it says, I have written to you children, because you know the Father. 
Now, we've already read a verse about children, but this word children is different than verse 12 word children. The Greek word translated little children in verse 12 is born ones, uh, the offspring of, not referring to age or stage or development physically or spiritually, simply someone who is a child of someone else, and we all are that. But in verse 13, the Greek word for children here is a different word. It refers to young children, young children who are still under the care of their parents, uh, kids who still need to be uh, protected by their parents, uh, kids who are ignorant of the way that the world operates. Not that kids are stupid, they just don't know how the world operates, and they need someone to protect them and to help them and to teach them along the way. And so in this context, the first area or the first type of, or stage that a Christian is in is this infant stage, is this uh, children's stage of Christianity where they're newly saved, they are in Christ, they don't know much more beyond that. <laughs> they, just, they just know that they have a heavenly father and that's a great thing. That's what they know. Now, you can think of your spiritual children, your children, children, when you had your children or when you were a child. You remember that there was a time in life when you didn't know everything. There was a time when you didn't know how the world operated. And so that's what parents do when children are really young. They're training their kids about how life works. Because an infant or a toddler doesn't know what that Prius can do to them. They just don't know. And so they have to be taught. They don't know what that stranger can do to them, and so they have to be taught. They don't know what the teeth of that dog can do to them, and so that's why little toddlers just shove their hands anywhere around a dog, and a parent has to say, okay, let's take those. They don't know what the claws of a cat can do to them. They don't know what overeating ice cream can do to them, even though they would love to do it. They just don't know. And so they have to be protected, not because they are dumb, but because they are ignorant. They are vulnerable to just the way that the world operates. And this is the same type of person, same type of Christian that we're talking about here. This is that spiritual growth area or the first spiritual stage of being a child. You're newly saved. And when you're newly saved, you're vulnerable not to Priuses, but you're vulnerable to any potential weird uh, thing that comes at you spiritually. Satan is a deceiver. He wants to lie. He wants to deceive you. And so as someone who is a brand new believer, they need to be protected. They need to be uh, looked out for. Because someone who is new, they have no idea what doctrine even is. And they don't know what the doctrines of God's word are. And so, for someone who's a new believer, and you could probably remember back to when you were like this, that to a new believer, the Bible and a Christian t-shirt and what your friend says and uh, Christian radio are like all on par with each other. <laughs> you, just, you just take them all at face value, because what else do you know? You're brand new, and it's a Christian t-shirt, and it says that thing on it, and that must be true. And so these are spiritual children. They're new in the faith. They're vulnerable. They're ignorant. Not they're stupid. They just don't know things which makes them vulnerable. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul encourages believers to grow up from that, to mature from that. Remember, anything that is alive, and if we are alive in Christ, there's going to be growth. Anything that is alive, there's growth. This is what Paul says about that. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Speaking of new believers in Christ, don't know much, haven't, haven't matured much in Christ yet, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who was the head, even Christ. Notice the growing up part. So the first stage of our spiritual life in Christ is being a child, and every stage is great. Well, what's the next one? The next phase, the next stage is young men. That's the next stage. Look in your Bibles at uh, verse 13, right in the middle of verse 13. The middle sentence there says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, how have they overcome the evil one? Skip down and look at verse 14, the last sentence in verse 14, or the second sentence in verse 14. It says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and that's why you have overcome the evil one. So now we have moved from spiritual children who are all about the excitement of their salvation, but no little more than that, and now we have come to being a young man, a spiritual young man who is focused, obviously, on God's Word. They are concerned with the doctrines, with the truths that are in God's Word. Throughout the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, this phrase, young men, often refers to good, clear understanding of the Bible. They've outgrown the childness of of the emotional excitement of being a Christian, and their faith is not based on emotions, on how good it makes me feel, and and the and the 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 needs of being um, of, of feeling good, and they've moved past that, and now their faith is built on the solid truth of God's word. It's what the Bible says. It's not about how I feel. Our feelings often lie to us, depending on if we're tired or if we just broke up with the boyfriend or the girlfriend, or if we're hangry, our emotions, they lie to us. And so these spiritual young men, they are not moved by their emotions. They are now built upon the truth, the doctrines of God's Word. And that's why they are able to overcome the evil one, because in verse 14, the Word of God abides in them. Satan works by formulating lies, by formulating deceits. And so these young men are able to overcome or be able to stand firm against these lies and the the deceits of of Satan because they are built upon God's word and not on their emotions, not on everything that just flies at them. And so obviously it would be important for even these young men to be protective of the spiritual children because they don't know any better, and these spiritual young men, they are able to know better and be protective and train the spiritual children. But every stage is great. We have spiritual children. We have spiritual young men. And then we move to the third of the three. We have spiritual 
fathers, spiritual fathers. Look back at verse 13. The first of that verse. I am writing to you fathers, because you know him who's been from the beginning. And you look at verse 14, at the start of that verse, same exact thing. I, I have written to you fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And so we move to the third stage, and these are not only people who have a firm, sound knowledge of who God is, but now they know Him. They have drawn close to Him. It's kind of like the difference between uh, book smarts and street smarts. I would say the, the young men are the book smarts. They know the doctrines. They, they know the truth in God's Word. But now, the spiritual fathers, they have drawn close to the Lord. And the only way that this can happen is over a long period of time. There's, you can't muscle this. You can't force this. But these spiritual fathers, over long periods of time, through difficult times in their life, wonderful times in their life, have taken what they know as young men, and they've, that has now begun to filter into every part of their life. And as God shakes their life up for our own benefit, as Pastor John said this morning, as our life gets shaken up for all sorts of reasons, these truths that are in the Bible become real. They, they be you begin to worship God because of them in the middle of the difficult time. And after a life of living like that, you can say, I know him. Not just I know about, not just I know of, but I have lived that truth. I, I know that to be true in my own life. And so we have spiritual children, we have spiritual young men, and we have spiritual fathers. Every stage is great. You might say, well, I'd really like to grow from the one that I'm in to, to the next one. What do I do? Well, the way to grow from one to the next to the next is through the life-giving and life-producing God's Word, infiltrating it in your life and applying it. That is how a person moves from one to the other. As a child, you, you, you don't even know what you don't know, but you come to church, you come on Wednesday nights during the school year, you begin to get connected, and you begin to learn from your Bible, and you read it in the morning, and you treat it as if it's real and if it's true, and then you apply it in your life. And over a period of time, there's no day, there's no time, there's no um, a, a rededication day where all of a sudden you move from a child to a spiritual young man. You spiritual young man. It's just over time of infiltrating God's word, treating as if it's true and applying it in your life, beginning to learn the deeper things of God's word, beginning to memorize it in it and hide God's word in your heart so that when you go through difficult times, you can allow God's word to, to begin to s s sanctify who you are and change who you are. And over a long period of time, you, you end up being a spiritual father. It's God's word that does this to a believer. It's God's word that changes us from being a spiritual child to a spiritual young man 
to a spiritual father. And so this would be one way for you to identify in yourself or in someone else if they're a spiritual young man or a spiritual father. How would you know? Well, one way that you would know is that typically a spiritual young man, they are fervent and they're passionate for the Bible. And that's a wonderful thing because the Bible is deserving of that. And what they might do is they might say, this is what it says, and it does say that, and this is how you must apply it in your life because this is the way that it works in my life. And they might have a tendency to be a little legalistic. They might have a a thing, you have to do it my way. This is what it says, which is true. The Bible is very rigid. It's clear in what it says, but the application is very malleable with all the different people that exist. And so God might use that truth in one person's life in one way and another in another way. But the only way that you learn that is through time. Because when when you're a young man, you just think that everyone is living the life that you live. And that every application exactly the way that, that, that I'm applying it. But a mature person will understand that in their life, the truths that they learned over time have, have shaken them up, have, have caused them to worship God differently than they ever had before. Because the application in their life at this time, in this situation, meant way more than they ever could have imagined that it applying in their life. And so the spiritual father would be one who understands that the application of God's word is very malleable that it's going to change with different people, that it's going to be unique to every person. And that has, what has given them a unique worship of God because of what the truth of being a young man has now filtered into their life. Child, young man, father. Every stage is great. So remember, we're going to do this in two stages. One, what this means. So there we are. This is what this means. Now, maybe even more importantly, what this doesn't mean. Because you might be assuming that this spiritual growth is, is connected to various things. And I want to make it clear what it's not connected to. Spiritual growth is not about your age. This is not about your age. Just because a person is older than you in age does not mean that they are further along in their spiritual growth than you. And also, just because someone has been a Christian longer than you does not necessarily mean that they are more spiritually mature than you. It's sad to say, but there are some Christians who have been a Christian for a very long time that are still ignorant spiritual children. They just don't know the doctrines of God's Word. They're happy to come and sit and listen in the air conditioning and go home. But they just really aren't interested in reading their Bible in the morning and allowing it to infiltrate into their lives. That's just not what they're interested in. The Bible talks about this. Turn in your Bibles, if you can't keep a finger here in John, but turn in your Bibles to the left for a minute to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to show you a couple places in the New Testament where this is a real thing. Don't dismiss this. Don't pretend, no, 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 this isn't me because, no, I'm really a Christian. Yes, we are. John's already talking to Christians. Every stage is great. And so it's possible, though, that you might be more childlike than you thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 
verse 1. Here's an example of this. This is Paul speaking. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? The whole point of this is they should have already matured on from where they were, but he wasn't able to teach them the deeper truths of God's word because they're still all wrapped up in what words did he use? Uh, jealousy and strife, and so they're still immature. This happens often. Turning your Bibles to the right now from where you are to the book of Hebrews. I hope you have about 13 fingers. Did still keep your finger in 1 John. Hebrews chapter 5. Is it possible that you're still a spiritual child, though you've been a Christian for a long time, though you're advanced in physical age? Is it possible? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Here's another example. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Isn't it interesting being discerning of good and evil? meaning being able to discern between Satan's lies and God's truth, is that that's a hallmark of someone who is maturing in Christ. And what he's saying is, is these people have not matured past that yet, and they are not discerning. And so there are many Christians who are, who are going to heaven, they are saved, and yet... They are still wrapped up in the jealousy and the strife and the conflict, and they have no discernment. Now, this is the same for human beings, just humans, too. I'm sure you know of some people who are in their 40s who are way less mature than your own teenagers. They act more like teenagers than teenagers act like teenagers. When I, my kids were young, there were some teenagers that I would definitely want my kids to be around, and there were some 40-year-olds that I wouldn't even want around my pet fish, you know? You know some people like that, that, that physical age does not determine someone's maturity. We know that. Same spiritually. That just because someone is a particular age or has been a Christian for a certain amount of time does not mean that they have advanced in their spiritual growth. So this is not about age or how long you've been a Christian. Secondly, this spiritual growth is not about how smart you are. This is not about intelligence. This is not about the GPA. This is, this is not about passing a Christian test. Because there are a lot of people who can parse a Greek verb, they, they, they know theology, they've systemized the theology, but unless it is moved from the mind into the heart, 
it's done no maturing in them. And this is where this can be dangerous. Here we are at Grace Community Church. We want to train our kids in the things of the Lord. And so right now, we have Sunday school teachers who are teaching our kids right now, and many of you are Sunday school teachers who will be teaching kids second service. And, and here's the danger. As we train our kids every Sunday morning, our teenagers Wednesday nights through the school year, that the smarter and smarter they get, here's the concern, and, and here's the prayer for parents, is that the knowledge doesn't turn into inoculation for change. Because sometimes what can happen is, is we could know so much, we could say, I don't need that because I already know it, and it hasn't even ever changed us. And so spiritual growth has nothing to do with passing the test in fifth grade when, when you can beat all the other kids in, in, the, in the question test. That does not mean spiritual maturity. And the same, too, for someone that is very smart biblically, that doesn't mean necessarily that they are advanced spiritually. They could be, but it's not about intelligence. It's not about someone's smarts. Thirdly, and wonderfully, this is not about God's love. This is not about God's love. God doesn't love you more as you mature more. Of course, it glorifies God. It glorifies God when someone begins to take His Word and begins to move from being a child of God and begins to read it and infuse it and learn it. It glorifies God, but He, doesn't, he can't love you more. God's love has already been established. In Romans chapter 8, it says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love has already been demonstrated. He can't like unlove unlove like that, you know? It's already been done. Turn in your Bibles just one page over to 1 John 4. It talks more about this love. God's love for you has already been established. Uh, 1 John 4, verse um, 17. It says, By this love is perfected in us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as He is, so we are in, his, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. He, he can't love us more or love us less based on our maturity. It's not like, it talks about the day of judgment. It's not like when like, the rapture comes, people who are spiritual children only get like half raptured. And then, and then spiritual young men, they like three quarters get raptured. And then it's only the, the spiritual fathers who get completely raptured. God's love has already been demonstrated toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. That is God's love extended to us. That is why we can love the Lord is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He comes out of heaven, gives up the glory, but doesn't give up the, the Godhood, comes to earth and lives a perfect life because he's God. And he dies on the cross paying for our sin, the perfect sacrifice, the sinless one dying for the sinful ones. 
the just for the unjust, so that we could go to God, so that we could be called little children of God. This is God's love already demonstrated to us. He can't undo that. He can't half that. As a matter of fact, the reason that you can be a child is because of God's love that's already been extended to us. And maybe even as an extension of that idea, the spiritual growth is not about salvation. It's not about your salvation. A Christian's standing before God is already set. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believe upon Him for your salvation, your sins are removed. The the sin in your life, past, present, and future, was dealt with on the cross. God's righteous judgment has already poured out upon Christ. That judgment has been applied to your sin, and it's been removed. And now a Christian is wrapped not in your own robes of righteousness, but for His namesake, because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so, whether you are a child or whether you are a young man, or whether you are a father, no no matter what stage of development a Christian is in, your sins are already paid for, your life is already eternal, you already know where you will go when you will die, you will spend eternity in heaven with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not about your salvation. Your human body is like that. That you are a human body, you're a human. It doesn't matter the age that you are, you're a human, you have life. A a, a child is a human. Even a child inside the womb of his mom is a human child. And a teenager, they're like half human, but at least they're human. (laughs) And then no matter, and and then advanced grandfathers, they're still humans. It doesn't matter the age, they're still humans, and the same is true. That no matter the, the, the spiritual stage, child, young man, or father, still there's salvation. There's life in Christ because of his death on the cross. Now, this list could be really long. I just had to end it somewhere. Spiritual growth, finally, is not about your affluence. Maybe another way to, to, to say this is, someone's spiritual growth is never seen in their success. And that's hard for us human beings because we see success as like, aha, you know, the, the, the God is finally raining down his, his benefits upon you because of how good you're doing. But spiritual growth is not seen in someone's success. A pastor who is pastoring a huge ministry with lots of people, that is not indicative of his spiritual maturity. Now, he could be very, he could be a spiritual father, or he could be a spiritual child, but his success is not determinative determinative of that, or that doesn't determine whether he's successful or not. A Christian's wealth has nothing to do with their spiritual maturity. Someone who is very wealthy may may or may not be spiritually mature. It has nothing to do with that at all. The Apostle Paul talks about getting along with nothing, and he's content with nothing. Jesus, during his years of ministry, he was born in no home, and his three years of ministry, he was homeless. And so obviously, physical wealth does not determine or is not indicative of someone's spiritual 
growth. But it's also not the other way around because some people will hear that and they say, well, then that means the poor, they are the ones who are more spiritual. No, has nothing to do with income at all. We know in the Old Testament, most of the great men of the Old Testament were enormously wealthy and that they're patriarchs. And so it's not wealthy. Now, this might be good news for you or this might be bad news. If you thought that that all of the blessings and benefits that you have was an aspect of God raining down his pleasure upon you because you were growing spiritually. The Bible says that God gives benefits to the unrighteous. And so you want to claim the unrighteous side of that? No. Now, this could be really good news because you might have thought that the limits in your bank account were indicative of your spiritual growth. No, it has nothing to do with your spiritual growth. It just means that your bank account is a little lower than you wish it was. That's all it means. And so here they are. Here's some things that this doesn't mean. The spiritual growth is not about your age, how smart you are, God's love poured out for you, your eternity in heaven is already secure because you are a child of God. Every stage is great. So maybe now you can self-identify. What stage are you in? What stage are you in? Are you a spiritual child? Saved by Jesus Christ? That's a wonderful thing. Every stage is great. But Paul would say, hey, anything that's alive, and you're alive in Christ, anything that's alive should grow. You don't want to be dead in your trespasses, so grow. Are you a spiritual young man? Learning the truths of God's Word, that is a wonderful thing. Reading your Bible every morning will help move you from one to the other. Are you a spiritual father? Been able to, over a lifetime, been able to infuse what you learned as a young man and infuse it into your life and and, and you know that things in the Bible are true, not because you just trust it, but you have lived through the things and it's applied to your life. Remember, things that are alive, they grow. Things that are not alive, they don't grow. Now you might say, I would really like to grow from one to the other. How do I do that? Well, I've already kind of already prefaced this for you, the way that the Bible describes this process of moving from child to young man to spiritual fathers is there's a lot of different words that are used. But as we look at the words that are used, maybe you can begin to understand what, what, what's happening when this occurs. So I'm going to put a lot of different descriptions here on the screen. In 1 Timothy 6.11, this process is called pursuing righteousness. Are you pursuing righteousness? Every morning when you wake up, you read your Bible. You do you want to live righteously? Romans 12, 2 calls it being transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you wake up in the morning, are you memorizing God's word? Do you want God to change your mind? The way to grow is by God changing your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 calls it perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you want to live perfectly? 
Do you, de- do you desire perfection? Obviously, Paul says that I, I can't be sinless, but I can sin less. I'm reaching towards the goal. That's what Philippians is about. I'm pressing towards the mark is what Philippians calls it. Pressing towards what mark? The mark, the goal of perfection, of sinlessness. Are you pressing on towards that goal? These are the words that the Bible uses to describe this process of growing from one to another, being built up in the faith. So you can tell this is not like a day. It's not like today you can just say, okay, I'm doing that, and look, it happened. It's not like a time where you can rededicate your life to God and all of a sudden you move from one to the other. It's not that. It's not a thing that you can muscle. It's not a thing that you can force happen. It's something that happens to you. It's it's like as you feed your body good nutrients, your body gets healthier. So then as you feed your spiritual life with, with good things, with God's word, and you begin to apply those things, it begins to change you. And what happens to a man or a woman, I know it uses male terms here, but this is men or women. What happens to men and women is that as they begin to do these things. They begin to use God's Word and that God's Word begins to change them. After a while, they just turn around and say, look at what happened to me. That's how it happens. You can't force it. You can't muscle it. You take God's Word. You believe it to be true. You trust it to work. And you begin to read it. And then you begin to do, apply, implement what it says. That's the process. That's what we want here at Grace. At Grace Community Church, that's what we desire. That's, that's, we disciple, that's what a church does. Disciple people towards Jesus Christ. And if there are things that you feel like, man, I'd really like to, to, to do this, well, let me share with you some things that have helped in my life to, to mature more than I was before. One, obviously, on Sunday morning, bring your Bible You get familiar with opening it and reading it so that maybe you would read it through the week as well. On Wednesday nights during the school year, we go verse by verse through various parts of the Bible. And it helps you begin to learn a broader scope of the Bible than just what you're familiar with. It it teaches you other parts of God's Word, and then you can apply those things as well. We have small groups at Grace for men and women. Uh, They meet weekly in all different places, coffee shops and restaurants and homes. When I say small group, I mean like it's a group of men. There will be, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, about that range. Women, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like that range every single week. But it's not for like a month. It's not for like a year. It's for one year and five years and 10 years, and 20 years, and decades upon decades. And after those decades and decades of men or women reading God's Bible together, memorizing His Word together, praying for each other, those men and those women, they turn around and they say, huh, look at what happened to me over those decades of time. It's not immediate. But our men's and women's small groups are about discipling people towards Christ. Pastor Chuck just invited you via video 
to uh, entry-level aspect of getting to build fellowship with other believers here at Grace. It's called the Barnabas Groups. It meets once a month. That's pretty, that's pretty easy. And you eat food. <laughs> it's pretty easy. But it's an aspect of beginning to build friendships, build fellowship with other believers so that you can begin to do even the deeper things of following the Lord as well. Serving in ministry is another aspect of pressing on towards the mark of loving the Lord. All of these aspects are within the church body. We want each other to grow. I think you want to grow. That's why you're here. I think you want the person sitting next to you to want to grow. That's why you're here. That's why you serve in ministry. And so the application here today is primarily for believers. You want to grow? You allow God's word to change who you are. Now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is, this, is not, this is not for you. Remember, this is talking to people who are little children, born, offspring of God. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've already talked about God's love extended to you even before you ever even needed it or knew you needed it. God already extended his love to you in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says that Christianity, our eternal life, our forgiveness of sins doesn't come from doing anything but believing upon Jesus Christ, believing in a Savior who has died for our sins. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to at least give you the opportunity to consider these eternal things. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? This creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And God can read your mind. He reads your heart. You don't need to say anything out loud, but if you know that you need a Savior, if you know that you need your sins forgiven, if you know that you need eternal life, this is where you start. You believe in Jesus. And this is what you can say to God. You can say, God, I know that I've sinned, and I know that that separates me from you, and I realize that I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me from my sin and the results of my sin. And so I believe that Jesus is that rescuer. I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and died on the cross perfectly for my sin. And I believe the impossible. I believe that he rose from the grave, proving that he can do everything that the Bible says that he can do. And I put my personal faith, my trust, my belief in him. I put my eternity into his hands. The promise is, with your head still bowed, that the God, the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and will help you to live a mature life. And many of you already have God's Holy Spirit. And so the question is, is, are you maturing? Are you growing? Can you identify it? And here's a prayer that you could pray. You could say, God, I want to grow spiritually. I don't ever want to stop growing. I pray that your word would change who I am. I want to be different next year and next decade than I am today. Well, dear God, we as a church family, we thank you for your word and your provision in it and your, uh, you, the, the growth potential that is uh, written between every letter of your word. We praise you for your provision in our salvation and your love for us, but also your provision for us in our spiritual growth. We thank you for this, and we pray that our church would be developed because of this morning. In Jesus' name.